Okay, this is Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, probably the most famous Christmas passage out there. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. As David Scott said, this is uh, the first Sunday of Advent, Advent four weeks leading up to Christmas, where we anticipate or look forward to the coming of Jesus. We do that kind of in three different ways. We actually anticipate by looking back. We look back at his first coming. That's the nativity scene. You're all familiar with that. Matthew and Luke's version of Jesus' birth. We uh, look forward to Jesus' coming now to us through the Holy Spirit. And then we look forward to Jesus returning on a white horse. You can read about that in Revelation 19 where he makes everything right. Uh, I was Last night one of our, my kids said, why do we do Advent? And I said, well, this is what it is. And she said, no, I understand what it is. I don't know why we do it. Like, what's the point? Uh, and for us, collectively, the point is it's easy to lose Jesus in the midst of Christmas. It's just, that's natural. It's an easy thing to do. And so for at least an hour and a half a week, we want to focus in on who he is. Because who he is is who he was, and it's who he will be. Hebrews 13.8 says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And we want to try to get our minds around all of that. And again, it's very easy to lose him in the midst of Christmas. Here's a couple of pictures for you for Christmas. So the one on the left is kind of schmaltzy and cutesy. It's not accurate. Nobody had halos. Nobody looks like that after they've had a baby, especially having a baby in a cave. But you kind of get that. There's a cultural accommodation or a cultural acknowledgement of Christmas. Like everybody's on board. Everybody's on board with a child is born. We love family, we love warmth and kind of everything that that goodwill towards men and peace and all of those things. And that and there's no, that's fine. Like there's nothing necessarily wrong with that at all. And that I'm not going to argue about that one way or the other. I don't care what Starbucks puts on their cups at all. That's not their job. Their job is not to help me celebrate Christmas. Their job is to sell coffee. I don't care what the people at Target tell me when I leave. I don't care if they say Happy Holidays or Merry Christmas or Kwanzaa or whatever. It doesn't matter to me. It's not their job. It's our job as the people of God to hold on to who Jesus is. It's not their job to help us do that. There's a cultural acknowledgement, again, of everything on the left. All of those warm and fuzzy feelings that we get around Christmas. And I'm okay with all of those things. I want us to hold on to the reality on the right as well. You might not think of that when you think of Christmas. When Jesus came, he came as a warrior king. He was born as a baby. He was a baby with a destiny. A child was born, a son was given, and that son was given to us to defeat all of the enemies of God. And to rescue everyone who was held captive. That's why the son was given. It's not sweet. It's powerful. There's a war going on and Christmas was this beachhead into enemy territory. 
If you read in Matthew and Luke, you can kind of see this, particularly in Matthew. Herod was the king at the time, and he got it. You have these these wise men, the, the magi, these royal figures who are coming from around the world to worship this king. They look in the sky and they see these stars aligning and the planets aligning and they understand, they're astrologers, they understand that means a king has been born. And so they go to worship this king and Herod gets it. He's a king and he says, this is a rival to my throne. And so he wipes out every kid under the age of two. They don't do that when normal kids are born. But Herod gets it. It's a big deal. This is a king. Someone, it, Baby now. Yes. There's a destiny for him. And I want us to hold on to that. This is Revelation 19. It doesn't sound very Christmassy. But this is the one. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He was the same when he came the first time. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire. And on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Coming out of his mouth is a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has written, King of kings and Lord of lords. That's the one who Isaiah sees. He sees that guy coming. The picture on the left is is fine as far as it goes. It just doesn't go far enough. It's also the picture on the right. Who he was is who he is is who he will be. He's always been the same. We see him in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He's still the king. He just doesn't flaunt it. And we see him in Revelation. He's a king and he looks like one. Still the same guy. That's what I want us to hold on to during Advent. I'm not asking you to ditch anything. I'm asking you to add to. We're not fighting any of those cultural battles. Oh, that's silly. What we're doing as the people of God is saying, he, this is, this is, he's the one. This is who he is. This is why there's peace on earth. It's not because we all hold hands in a circle and sing a song. It's because the son has been given. And he brings peace through his death. He reconciles us to God and brings peace vertically for us. And he's strong and he defeats every enemy of God. And so he brings peace for us horizontally as well. So yes, peace on earth. This is the way it comes. Do you hear? Good. Today we're going to look at Wonderful Counselor. To say Jesus is a wonderful counselor, does that mean he's a great therapist? No. He is, as far as that goes. He says in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, Cast all your cares on him, or cast your anxiety on him, for he cares for you. He's great. You got a problem? He can help you fix it. Comfort, wisdom, guidance, direction... All of those things. Strength. He's wonderful though. I think about Jesus as a shepherd. 
when I think about that idea, what, what we would call like a therapist. He's not a therapist, but he is a good shepherd. He's the best, and he can lead you through the difficulties of life. What Isaiah saw was a king. And so in the context of king, what does it mean to be a wonderful counselor? He's talking about someone reigning on David's throne, someone who's the increase of his government will never end. He's looking at a royal figure. Again, it's this warrior king. He's not talking about somebody that you necessarily go and tell your problems to, although that's a, that's a piece of it. Good shepherd. What Isaiah saw was this one who plans and works wonders. That's what wonderful counselor means. You can see it most clearly in Isaiah 25. Oh Lord, you're my God. I'll exalt you and praise your name. For in perfect faithfulness, you've done marvelous things. That marvelous things is the same word as wonderful in Isaiah 9-6. You've done marvelous things. You've worked wonders. You've done wonderful things. Things planned long ago. Things planned long ago, that's the word counselor from Isaiah 9-6. So to say Jesus is the wonderful counselor is to say he's the one, he's this king who's planned and purposed to work wonders. That's, that's what Isaiah sees. When he sees this king and he says wonderful counselor, he's saying this guy has got a plan to do great things on the earth. And the scripture that Matt and Katie read today, Isaiah 11, talks about some of those great things that he does. And some of those great things that he has planned. Oftentimes in the Old Testament, when they talk about the wonders of God, they refer to the Exodus. God parting the Red Sea so the Israelites can be delivered from Egyptian bondages. That's the type of stuff the wonderful counselor does. He plans and purposes to deliver people from captivity. To overcome the enemies, his enemies and the enemies of his people and to set people free. It's that, those are the types of things Isaiah is thinking of and seeing when he says, wonderful counselor. And we know Jesus to be that. We've been looking at Luke all year. We've been going through Luke verse by verse. We're two-thirds of the way through. We're at Luke 17, about halfway through chapter 17. And just in that, those 17 chapters, we see wonder after wonder after wonder after wonder after wonder. After wonder, we see him delivering people from demonic oppression. We see him healing people with all kinds of problems, all any number of illnesses he heals. We see him raising people from the dead. We see him as Lord over nature with some of the miracles that he does in every way. We see Jesus working wonders. If if the one who Isaiah sees this king who's going to make everything right, this warrior king who God's going to send to fix Everything that's gone wrong in the world, if he is a wonder-working king, if he's someone who plans and executes great things, then Jesus fits the bill. He does all of that stuff. And again, Hebrews 13.8 says, who he was is who he is, is who he will be. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he was a wonder-worker, he is a wonder-worker, and he will be a wonder-worker. And I want you to grab onto that this morning. Jesus still works wonders. And he wants to do that in your life. First Corinthians 2 9 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived of the great things that God has prepared for those who love him. That's you, in case you were wondering. You're the ones that he loves. And your eyes have not seen, and your ears have not heard, and your minds have not conceived of the great things that he has prepared for you. He still wants to work wonders in your life. 
You may say, well, I, I get it. When Jesus was physically here on the earth, he was God. And so all this stuff was happening. He's ascended into heaven and things are different now. You're right. Absolutely. Things are different. They're better. Is what Jesus says. He says it's for your good. He says this to the 12 disciples. Imagine this. You're in his inner circle. You spent three years walking around with him. And then he says to you, I'm about to leave. And it's better for you that I go. Because unless I go, I can't send the spirit. And once I go, I will. Think about that. For us, sometimes we think if only how much easier it would be if we could physically see him. If only he was actually here. Think about what he could do in our city. And what he says to his disciples, it's better for you if I'm gone. What? He says in John 14, 12, you're actually going to do greater things than me. What's greater than that list that we just saw? What's greater than delivering people from demonic oppression or healing people or raising someone from the dead? What's better than that? It's not greater in terms of rank. It's greater in terms of number. While Jesus was on the earth, the Holy Spirit could work worked through him primarily. We see him working through the apostles some, but primarily the Holy Spirit worked through Jesus. We've said before, the miracles he does, he doesn't do as in his divinity. He does them in his humanity filled with the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, it's, there's no connection point for us. So Jesus does what he does as a man filled with the Spirit of God. And so the Holy Spirit during Jesus' three years on earth works through him to work all of those wonders that we saw. And then he says to his disciples, it's better for y'all when I leave because then I'm not, I'm not external to you anymore. I'm not just one that you can see and follow. Then I'll give you the Holy Spirit and, you, and I'll be internal to you and that's better. It's better for me to be inside than outside. And I'm a man. I'm limited. I get tired. I got to eat. I got to sleep. I can only walk as far as I can walk. I can only touch as many people as I can touch in a day. There's a finite number of things that I can do on any given day. He, ha- he faced the same limitations that we face as human beings. And he says, once I'm gone, those limitations no longer exist. The Holy Spirit won't just work through one person. He'll work through the one plus billion people who follow Jesus right now. That's why it's greater. It's not greater because it's better. It's greater because it's more. More things can we do. Because the Holy Spirit's not limited to just one guy. He works through the entire church now. All of those who follow him. So when, when I say Jesus wants to work wonders in your life, true, one of the things he wants to do is he wants to work wonders through your life to bless other people. If you read the book of Acts, it's the record of the first several decades of life without Jesus on earth. It's where we live. We live in the book of Acts. If you want to place yourself on the biblical story, read Acts and put yourself in there. That's you. You're living on this earth after Jesus has ascended and before he's returned. That's the book of Acts. It's the best description we have of what life is supposed to look like for us now. Obviously, different time and different culture, but following Jesus is the same. That's what it should look like for us. And if you read through the book of Acts, you'll notice very quickly all of the things that you saw in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, you see in the book of Acts. You see God using Peter and Paul and Stephen and Philip. We see him using women. We see him using men. We see him using Jews. We see him using Gentiles. We see God working through all of those people, working wonders. You see there the list. It's all the same stuff. Deliverance, resurrections, healing. Then you've got this category of all this 
really kind of weird stuff that happens in Acts. It's unexplainable. It's these wonders that God is working through his people. So to say Jesus is the wonderful counselor, he is the one who plans and purposes to do great things, that's who he was, it's who he is, and he continues to do those things, and he does them through his body. The Holy Spirit worked wonders through the man Jesus during his three years of ministry, and now the Holy Spirit works wonders through his church, all of the places that we go. And so one of the things I want you aware of between now and Christmas is keep your mind open. God, how? How, Who? What does that look like? What's the prayer for me? It could be that your prayer is a catalyst for a wonder in somebody else's life. Your gift, your word of encouragement, your risky act of obedience. And you can't figure out what it means. Like, why would I, what does this have to do with anything? You taking those steps, being sensitive to the leading of the Lord. That puts you in a position to facilitate or be a catalyst, to be a channel of a wonder that God wants to work in somebody else's life. You're not the source, of course not. God's the one that works it, but he works through his people. So for the next four weeks, have your mind open. God, who? Who do you want to give a Christmas gift to through me? How do you want to use me to work a wonder in somebody else's life? And it's going to be, whatever he asks you, it's going to be small. It's not going to feel like some massively, supernaturally miraculous thing. It's going to be small, and you may even be scared. And it's fine. You might not see results, and that's fine too. It's just saying, God, I'm open. I want you to, I recognize that you are still the same, Jesus. You're not a cute little baby in a manger. You're this wonder-working king, and you work wonders through your people. And that's me. I'm one of your people. So how? What does that look like for me? Maybe you get it at this point. Second thing. He wants to work wonders through you and he wants to work wonders for you. If you're on the... I'm looking for these gift tags. Look under your seat. See if you've got a pile of gift tags. They're on the what? The ends. They're on some end. One of the two ends. Grab one and pass it down. If you're a guest, I'd love for you to participate as well. We've done this before. We're going to do it again. Grab a tag. Everybody gets one. You're probably sitting on a pin or there's one jammed in between the seats. We're going to, in a minute, we're going to take a minute. And on that tag, you're going to write down, not your name. We don't need your name. You're going to write down, this is a wonder that I want. This is a great thing I want God to do in my life between now and Christmas. We talked last week. Some people say, oh, I'm good. I don't need anything. That's being super spiritual. We don't, don't do that. You need something. You need something. What's a great thing? I would love you to keep it personal. Don't ask for something for somebody else. It may be that there's somebody you love who's far away from the Lord, and that would be the wonder of them being drawn back in. That's, you can write that down. But I don't want you asking for something else in somebody else's life. I want you to try to, this is for you. What's, the one, what, what's, the, what's a wonder? And don't think, well, that's too big. That can't happen between now and Christmas. We'll leave all that stuff up to the Lord. What I want us to do is say, Jesus, I recognize that who you were is who you are. 
You were the wonderful counselor. That means you are the wonderful counselor. You were the one who worked wonders. So you are the one who works wonders. And just because you've ascended into heaven doesn't mean that, that you've quit. We see in the book that those things continue. That no mind has seen and no ear has heard and no mind has conceived the great things that you've prepared for us. And so I want to, in faith or taking a risk, I'm going to write down something. An area where I want to see you work a wonder. It's interesting. There's, there's about seven words in the New Testament that can be translated something like amazed. Amazed, awestruck, astonished. And those words, that group of words occurs 87 times. And 60 of them are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 60 out of 87 are in those four books. Everywhere Jesus went, everybody was amazed by him. Luke actually says that. He says everybody was amazed by Jesus. People were astonished. People were amazed. People were awestruck. And it wasn't just people who loved him. Jews who did not know him, but who were looking for the Messiah. They were amazed by Jesus. Nazareth, his hometown, people who'd known him the longest. And remember, they didn't even have a lot of faith, but they were still amazed by him. The disciples, those who knew him best, he was with them 24-7 for these three years. They were amazed by him. You may think, well, they knew him the best. They saw him in his worst moment, whatever that looks like. So maybe at some point the shine wore off. Nope, they were still amazed by him. His enemies were amazed by him. Pilate, who who sent him to be crucified, was amazed by him. The Pharisees, who they're the ones that created the charges to have him crucified, they were amazed by Jesus. People were amazed by him, and it didn't matter if they even liked him or not. What he said and what he did was so, it was so great, it was so spectacular, people couldn't help but be amazed. Amazement is a reaction. There's absolutely an emotional component, but it's this initial response to something that you've seen or that you've heard. You can't stir it up. We're actually never commanded to be amazed, ever. God doesn't command us how to feel. And he doesn't command us to be amazed. So if you're not amazed, it's, you're not, it's not sinful at all. But I think it is instructive for us if we think about Jesus, who he was, is who he is. And who he was was this wonder-working king who everywhere he went, everybody, regardless of their affection for him, regardless of their opinion of him, regardless of their relationship to him, was amazed or astonished. If he's still that, when was the last time I was amazed? When was the last time you were amazed? When was the last time you were astonished, awestruck by something God said or something God did? When was the last time you read something in the Bible and you were like, that... Is amazing. When was the last time sun sets every day? When was the last time you saw it and said that? I, there aren't words. Here's a picture. I can't describe amazement. That's the issue for most of us, isn't it? We're too sophisticated. Some of us are cynical. Some of us are a bit jaded. The same Heart posture that allows you to be amazed also allows you to be disappointed. So to be amazed means you're risking disappointment. There's no way to have a heart that's amazable, if I can make up a word, without also having a heart that's disappointable. Think about children. Many of you have been around them. It works both ways, doesn't it? They can be blown away. 
and they can be crushed. It's the, that, it's, the, it's the same heart posture, that same level of openness that can allow you to be astonished and awestruck. can also allow you to be disappointed, even crushed. And as we get older, we learn pretty quick how to seal that up. We put a little crust over our hearts. That's why the pictures, they're all kids. I googled amazement. It was interesting. The older the people got in the images, the more fake it looked. Do it. It's, it's, all, it's put on. It looked put on the older they got. The most genuine expressions, it's these children. They have this, there's some childlike quality that we lose as we get older. But what does Jesus say? Faith like a child. Not childish, childlike. It's not a sin to not be amazed. So don't hear me saying that. You're not in bad standing with God if you're not astonished by him. But if Jesus is who he was, if he was this wonder-working king, he is this wonder-working king, the, the initial response people have to him saying what he says and doing what he does is astonishment, amazement, and awe, then to me it makes sense that it would be the same for us. And if that's not the case, that's a me issue, not a him issue. What is it in my heart that's keeping me from being amazed by him. Let's pray. You've got that tag in your hand. Grab a pen if you need it. I want you to write, what's, what's the great thing? What's the wonder? What would be amazing to you? What is something that your mind, what's something that your eye hasn't seen and your ear hasn't heard and your mind hasn't conceived of? Write that on that tag. Please. I'm not really a feeler, but I feel this. Two things. I've been kind of weepy about this all morning. One is this idea of Jesus as the warrior king. It's a fuller picture of Christmas. The nativity is wonderful as far as it goes. There has to be a first step. It's just a first step. This child that was born is a son who has been given to us. Some of you this morning, you need to know. He's a warrior king and he is fighting for you. you need to let him. And letting him is not just about you pulling back and stopping, not fighting any longer. I think it's probably even more so about inviting him in. Prayer is not informing God, it's inviting God. And for some of you, that's what you need to do. You don't realize whose team you're on. 
You don't recognize this guy that you've rallied to. He's not just a lamb. He's also a lion. The second thing I feel is this idea of God wanting to amaze us. He's not trying to prove it. He doesn't have to prove anything. He's completely secure in who he is. He wants to amaze us. Because he can. And because he loves us. Because he's a good father. And he loves to see his kids astonished and blown away. And so for some of you, what that looks like is just being willing, just crack the door a little bit. Some of you may be heartbroken, heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. That may be you. You've been wanting a baby and you don't have one. Can you write that on the card? Maybe you desire a spouse and you don't have one. Can you write that on the card? Maybe it's something with your job or your finances. Maybe it's a physical, it's a health condition that you just live with now. There's no thought in your mind. Jesus healed a lady who'd been crippled for 18 years. He healed another lady who'd been hemorrhaging for 12. He healed a man who'd been born blind. what Matt said earlier it's never too late can you write that on the card knowing that when you and I, I get it once you write it on the card you're putting yourself out there you're taking a risk because what if he doesn't but the same posture that says I can be disappointed also says I can be amazed And he is the wonderful counselor. It's who he was and it's who he is. So God, my prayer for every man and woman in this room is that between now and December 25th, I pray you would blow their socks off. You'd amaze them. I pray for people who are far away from you and that you would amaze them. People who think you've written them off. People who think you don't care. You don't know. You don't see. Amaze them. God, I pray for people who've been doing this for a really long time. And they're just tired. It's been a long road. They've been faithful. And they're just weary. God, I pray for something new. God, I pray for people who've read the Bible ten times through. They already know what it's going to say before they get to the next verse. Would you amaze them this month? In the word. Show them something they've never seen. For people who are in routines and even ruts. God would you amaze them this month. With your creativity and your beauty. For people who've just decided this is it for me. I'm going to struggle and suffer in this way. God would you amaze them. We recognize that 
until you return, we'll continue to deal with the effects of a fallen world. But I think there's a lot on the table for us. And we don't want to leave any of it. So God, just whatever measure of faith that we have, and you say it only takes a mustard seed. God, we write on these cards and say, here it is. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to close with ministry. We'll have teams here up in the front. We'll pray with you about anything at all that you have going on in your life. We've got these baskets hanging on the wall as you're leaving. So when you go, you can drop your gift tag into that. And again, if you're a guest, we'd still love for you to participate. We don't need your name on those things. So you guys can stand. Ministry teams, if y'all will come forward, that'd be great. Bo will dismiss us after this song. And any of you that would desire, y'all come.